Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Daily Friend Wrap. I'm your host, Nicholas Larimer, joined today by Mr. Marius Ruert. Let's get into our first news story of today, and this concerns the Constitutional Court judgment yesterday on the Electoral Amendment Act. This act was drawn up by Parliament after a court said that not correct that people were not able to run as independents for political office in South Africa's parliament. Up till uh, that court ruling and this legislation, you had to be a member of a political party to become a member of parliament. Well, um, many aspects of this new law, uh, of, the, of the changes to the electoral amendment law were challenged in the court. Um, but in the court ruling, only uh, most of the law was upheld. Most of the changes were upheld, so independents will be allowed to run in much the system that the government cooked up in that legislation. However, one thing was changed, which was previously, if you did not already have representation in Parliament, you needed to get 15%, uh, you need to get signatures equal to 15% of the votes that it took to get a seat in Parliament in the last election, uh, which the court basically arbitrarily high uh, uh, barrier to entry. So they've reduced that for independent candidates to a thousand signatures is all you need to get on the ballot as an independent. Um, if you're uh, a political party who's not already represented in parliament, the 15% threshold still remains the same. Um, now at the IRR, we've been critical of many parts of this bill. Um, Morris, what do you make of all this? Good change, bad change. Uh, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I think it's um, uh, uh, probably. Uh, I mean, it's a good ruling that uh, independents only need a thousand votes to be able to register to stand for parliament. Uh, but it's still a bit disappointing that some of the uh, more uh, dodgy pieces of, of this legislation have remained intact. Uh, what was struck down was uh, that independents are only able to run for. 200 of the regional seats to parliament and not all 400, which means in uh, in actual fact, an independent will need to get more votes to get one seat than a political party will have to uh, because of the way the uh, seats are going to be calculated. And there's still quite big problems with the way seats are recalculated once a vacancy occurs after an election. So when an uh, MP or, or uh, whether a representative of a political party or an independent decides to resign or is kicked out of the party if they're a member of a political party, uh, the way that's still calculated is still uh, a bit fishy because there's no uh, by-elections, even though you are voting for individuals now. So it's all still a, a bit of a mess, and it all goes back to, I mean, this legislation was uh, pretty bad in the first place. And, um, yeah, uh, I, I don't see this legislation or this electoral system lasting until 2029. As far as I know, the government has said they, they're going to be looking at uh, amending the electoral system ahead of 2029. So we can maybe have a system like the one we use at municipal level, at provincial and national level, which was actually the one that was suggested uh, when we first started talking about electoral uh, reform. Uh, the, the ministerial advisory committee's uh, report, the majority report actually, said that's what we should do, scale up the uh, system use at municipal level to provincial and uh, national level. But in the wisdom of the ANC, this was decided, uh, decided against. So we'll have to see what happens. Uh, it's also uh, political parties still have to uh, get this big signature requirement, which is uh, uh, up to about 15,000 people, which is quite a lot because you have to get names and people's ID numbers. And as it stands now, or before, this, uh, before the Electoral Act was amended, to register as a political party, all you had to do at the national level 
was just get a thousand signatures and pay five thousand rand fee to the IEC. Uh, you obviously to stand in elections, there was a bit more expensive. I think it cost about two hundred seventy thousand rand to stand uh, at national level for parliament, and then I think about thirty thousand rand to stand uh, in each. Um, uh, province, so yeah, you'd you'd have to fork out about four uh, four or five hundred thousand rand, which actually, in the big scheme of things, isn't that much. For an individual, it's quite a lot. But I think if you're a fairly well organized political party, it should be money that you should be able to raise. So yeah, there's still quite a lot of problems with this, and I think uh, we might still see some more challenges to, uh, challenges to it. But as it stands now, it's probably all systems go for the election, which we're probably going to see happening between May and August next year. You know, it seems to be not at all an ideal circumstance, but uh, as you say, um, it may be difficult to change things at this point. Hopefully, we get an election result, however, that I think is still very broadly in line with uh, what people voted, uh, most pretty accurately in line with what people voted for. But uh, we shall have to see um, how this new system works in practice. Okay, uh, let's move on to our next story, and this is... The South African GDP figures for the third quarter, which show that in quarter-on-quarter uh, -quarter growth, the South African economy contracted 0.2% in the third quarter of 2023. Um, this is the three months through September. The main areas that have been hit hard are agriculture, manufacturing, construction, although um, I'm not entirely sure the seasonal variance in agriculture does go up and down a lot during the quarter. So. That's not the most important one. Manufacturing construction decreases, though, is very concerning. Um, and at the same time, I believe he is the richest South African, Johan Rupert, uh, says that South Africa can no longer attract foreign investment because it has failing infrastructure, lawlessness, and lack of consequence for corruption. Uh, he says, he, he specifically said that he cast, that he doubted South Africa's ability to agree on a social contract <laughs> This labor and government to address the country's socioeconomic challenges, putting the blame on politicians. Now, I agree with his overall assessment that investment is really being hurt by some of the factors he mentioned, but I'm not so keen on his solutions thing, this idea of a social contract between business, government, and labor. That's often, very often, a way that uh, sort of Big groups lock out smaller groups of, from an economy or a society. Um, and in fact, I think many of the ways we got into this mess in the first place was because of a sort of social compact between, as you've put it, Marius, big unions, big government and big business. Um, what do you make of this and what do you make of our not so good GDP figures? Well, the GDP numbers, again, I think are in South Africa as a stance is a dog bites man story. I don't think anybody's... Uh, too surprised and a lot of these are a lot of the problems are self-inflicted a lot of comes i mean the reduction in gdps because of things like load shedding because of the issues at the ports you know these are all things that the government should be trying to fix but you know i think they they simply they don't have i, I don't know if they can't or they simply won't and i think it's a bit of both to be honest uh, i don't think this government's actually too interested in trying to run things properly and that's why we're seeing the problems we have and as i've said before in the show uh, you know, if the economy is shrinking by 0.2%, that's not just these abstract numbers. They're, these are That means there's going to be businesses that fail. That means that people are going to lose their jobs. And these are real human beings at the end of the day, uh, you know, with uh, all the kinds of uh, hopes and dreams that uh, any of us have, that uh, lives are being ruined because of the way uh, the government's uh, uh, 
uh, running South Africa, you know, and there's so much human potential that's being destroyed in South Africa just because how badly things are being run. And I think that's what we need to remember. And it's, it's actually disgraceful. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I think I agree with you. What's uh, obviously, uh, John Rupert, I think he's uh, quite right with uh, what he's diagnosing there. But uh, I think his solution is quite is incorrect. As you say, big, un big unions or big labor, big government and big business uh, I like to call it a bit of an unholy tr uh, trinity. Always works together to, you know, keep out the little guy. And that's what we've uh, had in South Africa, uh, you know, for most of the post-apartheid uh, era, to be honest. But we've had big business, uh, big government, and big labor work together through things like NEDLAC. And you have uh, these kind of, uh, for example, collective bargaining agreements, uh, which is fine for big companies, which can afford, uh, you know, certain increases. But then that screws over... Uh, Little, uh, little companies, which are legally obliged, as far as I understand, to give the same kind of um, increases that uh, come out of these collective bargaining uh, things. So it's all, you know, it's easy. And also that's also things such as BE. Big business is pretty happy to go along with things uh, like BE because uh, they, they, they have the resources to employ uh, an entire department to make sure they're compliant with it. They have the money to, uh, to you know, attract the top talent and so on where smaller businesses don't really uh, have those kinds of resources. So yeah, it's uh, overall uh, it's uh, <laughs> it's quite a depressing show, I think. No, definitely, and like you, I just want to re-emphasize that point you made about how these are real people's lives. You know, when you see a flat economic growth number like that, what that means is that means more children who can't, who won't be able to have food, more people who will look for, who will not be able to look forward to a life of prosperity, uh, more people who uh, will be stuck in poverty, more people who will be facing major crises in their life because they just don't have the money to sort out some of their basic needs. Um, and that's why it's imperative that we get that growth number up. Okay, let us go on to our last topic for today. And this is our Chief Justice Raymond Zondo, who is speaking at a judges conference in the Northwest. Um, he, at this conference, he said that the judiciary should put their heads together and find ways to improve the country's legislative arm. He has recently, over recent months, been talking a lot about how he's very concerned about how Parliament in particular is dysfunctional and how he, don't, he doesn't think it would be able to stop another attempt at state, state capture as uh, his commission looked into during the Zuma years. Um, this was uh, the, the gathering he was speaking at, brings judges and magistrates from across the country to discuss issues relating to judicial independence, efficiency, and other issues. Sondo concluded his remarks by saying, we must make sure that in the fourth decade of our democracy and beyond, we do not repeat the mistakes that we've made in the past 30 years. And as a country, I'm not speaking about the judiciary. There are many mistakes that have been made. So what frustrates me about this is judges should not be trying to improve the legislative arm. The legislative arm can only be improved at the end of the day by the, the politicians in it and the people who vote for it. Uh, it is not the place of judges to try and fix that thing. Um, and I think in a sense, he's kind of trying to find a solution here that doesn't get too political. It says, oh, well, you know, the judiciary, maybe we can nudge parliament along in the right direction. I think that's very much the kind of trading water approach to solving South Africa's problems rather than actually tackling the problem. What do you think, Morris? Uh, yeah, and also, I mean, we have the separation of powers. Uh, the legislature, uh, legislative arm uh, shouldn't be, uh, or the judicial arm shouldn't be uh, interfering in the legislative arm. And uh, with, with uh, Justice Zondo saying that parliament is functional, that's all true. 
but parliament's only as good as the people that are in it and i think part of the reason uh we we aren't uh, such trouble as a country is because the ANC, which has obviously been the biggest party in Parliament since 1994, has over the years been sending uh, lower and lower quality people to uh, Parliament. You know, it's not a place where you uh, uh, top people go, I don't think. Uh, you know, they're probably actually more deployed to provinces to become premiers and so on. Um, and I, I think in the, first, the initial post-apartheid period, uh, a lot of people speak about Parliament, Parliament then as a kind of a golden uh, era. Even ANC uh, politicians or MPs were uh, saw Parliament as a proper uh, safeguard uh, against excesses from uh, the central government and were happy to question people like uh, President Nelson Mandela and so on. Uh, but uh, so uh, the reason for that was a lot of people who'd been involved in the struggle, you know, actually good people, whether you uh, agreed with them politically or not, you know, well educated, dedicated to South Africa. Uh, they came to Parliament, uh, and then they were snatched up to by the private sector and so on. And the quality of people available to the ANC just started getting worse and worse, I think. So we see the problems we have now. I mean, if if you read some uh, parliamentary transcripts, some of the questions that get asked, it, it'll uh, make the hair in your head uh, stand up. And I mean, to be fair, there's lots of problems with the quality of MPs from a lot of other parties as well. It's definitely not an ANC issue. So, yeah, it's... Um, I think, but that's where a lot of the, uh, our problems come from. We can look at Parliament, but Parliament is only going to be as good as the people that go there. So I think we can have all kinds of other ways to try to fix it, but I think that's what it comes down to, the quality of actual MPs, whether Parliament's going to be uh, a functional institution, which uh, uh, either acts as a rubber stamp or as something that's, uh, uh, you know, kind of a guardrail against the worst excesses of the government. Right, and I also think it's incumbent on the South African people to hold Parliament more strictly accountable for times when it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. And there are many times in the last couple of decades that it has not done what it is supposed to do. As you say, um, Parliament has massively decreased in quality. And now uh, it's not just speeches or questions that are stupid or silly or you know race-baiting or whatever. It's also just dull and pointless you know you have uh, members of parliament reading out speeches that were clearly either written by a researcher or maybe an ai or something um <laughs> that are you know just sort of soulless and lifeless and often go on ridiculous tangents uh an institution that is at the heart of our entire democratic system and if it doesn't work i don't think south africa is going to work okay that is all the time we have for today we hope that you found the show interesting that's a wrap. Thank you.